All right, Titus is a book on the health of a healthy church, and we get that from the word sound that we saw last time we were together, uh, that it's five times here in, in these first two chapters. And so a healthy church, we know what a healthy body looks like. We know what a healthy building looks like. We know what a healthy family looks like. We know what healthy relationships look like. Uh, medically, we know what healthy skin looks like. Um, in the medical field, they know what healthy blood looks like. We get our blood drawn. Um, we know what a healthy heart rate looks like. There's a lot that we uh, rely on um, professionals and just common sense to look at look at ourselves and self-diagnose at times. To know I probably should go to the doctor. Um, and so, how about a church? Uh, Paul writes this short book to a. I encourage Titus to uh, help establish healthy churches, and we've got it in writing for us to use 2,000 years later to evaluate our church and uh, encourage other churches and point them toward this book. Uh, but for now, uh, the primary goal of our time together on Wednesdays is to look at God's Word and to see practically how to think and we always have to assume there's a weakness that I have that uh, this passage of scripture is going to address. Okay. And so there's always an unhealthy way of thinking or practicing a church that uh, was, we just were studying Corinthians and Sunday morning that that church was obviously unhealthy and he's going after them and this and this and this and this, all these different situations. So, and with the culture that Titus is in, we have, analyzed our culture, evaluated our culture, and said, our culture is quickly becoming almost a mirror image of the 20, 2,000 years later of a Cretan culture. Uh, and so this is so relevant for us that how do we, and this is timeless truth, this is how God's word operates, right? It's timeless truth uh, to know what is um, a healthy church look like in on the island of Crete in um, 50 or 60 years after Christ was born. And this is what does a healthy church look like in New England in the 21st century. And what, what truth do we need to help establish and maintain and grow to become even healthier as a church? So we saw last time, Titus uh, 2, 1, is uh, the teaching for Titus teaching as a leader what accords with sound there's our word healthy doctrine and then he is going to go after as a, a church planter establishing churches on this island the elders in chapter one but now not necessarily just elders but all the older men in the church i don't know if he had a men's bible study <laughs> or a men's group they got together uh, and then the older men, uh, they would study what it means to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. We could probably take, because of the cross-references, if you do a word study on these words, you could do a cross, um, a study on what scripture says about what it means to be sober-minded, what it means to be dignified, what it means to be self-controlled. And uh, the word self-controlled, we'll see two more times in this text. Uh, for older women and for uh, younger, uh, younger women and younger men. So we saw last time we defined these words um, 
and tried to think about how to apply them and why they are necessary for older men and how in our church, uh, in, our, in, in our thinking and how we have interacted with older men in a church, that the men that we respect, they looked like this and they influenced us in our walk with the Lord and helped us to be healthy in our personal lives, okay? And so we see the uh, older women, uh, he starts with the older men, then in verse three, he goes with the older women, and you'll see a word, what is the third word in the ESV that we see in verse three? What word do you see? Likewise, so what do you think that word uh, is doing there? So it's a connection back to previously, right? Okay. If you looked at First Timothy three, you will see likewise. I think two times after he starts with the elders, he goes to the deacons and then the women, um, or deacons' wives or or women there. And he uses the word likewise to connect those, okay? Uh, and if you look at an elder and a deacon side by side in their qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, they look a lot alike, we would say, okay? And so if you look at a godly man and a godly woman in a healthy church, there are going to be a lot of similarities. In scripture, we're thinking of like Aquila and Priscilla. They're often mentioned together. And uh, there are couples, there are godly couples that you know of in a church that they're really good together <laughs> they complement each other they've got a healthy marriage they um in, in ministry they really if, if they have you over to their home you can see that they're they're different their gifts are different but they work really well together because they're both godly okay because you have two godly people working together you have a healthy home now in a church setting you have older men and older women working together. And if they're both godly, they're going to look similar. And so the we're not going to take everything that we learn from the older men and say, older women have to be, they don't have to be sound in faith or sound in love and sound in steadfastness. Obviously, that's across the genders, okay? And so he's not going to repeat this, but he's going to give some facets of womanhood of uh, the females in the church that are older that uh, complement the men in a way that it also looks like godliness. And we get godliness from all the way back in the very first verse. Okay, so if you look at Titus 1.1, 1, 1, we are to, Titus has said, uh, to, for the sake of uh, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So truth that's lived out in a life looks like God. Okay. A godly person will remind you of God. In the New Testament language of the uh, Romans 8, a godly Christian looks like Christ. Okay. And so how they interact with each other and the interaction part is the older men can't just be godly for themselves in a healthy church. There's got to be some interaction with the younger men and other people in the church. The older women can't just be godly for themselves. They have to 
interact with the younger women to influence them, okay? The, and a healthy church has a lot of close relationship, strong bonds between generations. Now you have, in every generation, you have generational things that you, like if I was gonna talk about virtual reality with you, I just listened to a guy who is probably in his 60s who's doing some research and bought a virtual reality headset. He got dizzy, had to take it off and go to the bathroom and probably lose his lunch. <laughs> uh, but in trying to interact in a world, the virtual reality world, that probably doesn't appeal to many here, but maybe Ted, all right? And maybe, maybe Pastor Ty, all right? So, but it doesn't appeal to me at all. Like I watch people with virtual headsets and they have it in the Microsoft store at the mall. And they had this sectioned off space where you could try it out and you look like an idiot if you're watching someone with it on, right? Uh, but that doesn't appeal to you. But it does appeal to a generation um, for sure. Um, social media probably doesn't appeal to you except that it connects you to relatives that are far away it it's not how you get your information and how you're going to influence the world but in a younger generation it is how they interact and how they want to influence the world so but in a healthy church what we see here is generations are getting together on purpose outside and if you talk to a younger generation about things that are like I can't I can't figure out my phone or I'm struggling with the internet or or you talk to them about their doctor's appointments and oh I got a really good whatever collegist okay <laughs> as soon as you hear collegist at the end and you're talking to someone younger they're like in one and out the other it's like them talking to you about virtual reality they, they that's not their world but that is your world many of you and so generations have different and my parents are coming to visit so i'm going to probably talk to them about uh health i'm going to talk to them about doctors and medicines <laughs> okay and if i go visit some of you i'm, I'm going to plan to talk to you about your doctors and your medicines uh and others up. i don't bring those topics up then we just have to be aware that generations are different but generations in a healthy church have to interact. You cannot be content to have your circle of friends that's just people your age. I'm going to tell that tonight to a, a different generation, primarily than I am this morning. But we can't, and I'm telling my kids, you have to interact with people that are adults that are your grandparents' age and your parents' age, and you have to learn how to do this. Um, not just in a workplace, but especially in a church, because you need the influence of the next gen. You need the wisdom of generations that are older than you, or you're going to just get like Rehoboam, Solomon's son, just information and wisdom from his peers. And he made awful decision that split the kingdom. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Titus two here is about the older men uh, who are godly. And this is what godliness looks like in verse two. We looked at that in verse three. And we may spend a couple of weeks here because I really want to slow down and get all these words and then think about how to, how that you can connect with someone younger. And then I'm going to talk tonight about younger, how they can connect with you. Okay. Um, 
And I am not looking down on any generation. I hope it doesn't come across that way. That's not how I intend because that's not how Paul's coming across here and Holy Spirit. The older uh, have to teach the younger uh, wisdom. And this is super practical stuff, which we'll see in verse three. All right, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Uh, anybody have a different word than reverent in your text? Okay, everybody has reverent. Um, what comes to your mind when you think of the word reverent? Okay, think, and this might help you. What's the opposite of it? And then what comes to your mind when you think of the opposite of reverent? Evil. Okay, evil? Disrespectful. Okay, disrespectful of things that are in a certain category. Okay, good. What else would be something that may be irreverent? In a place that should be a reverent place, there is irreverence there, and it rubs us the wrong way because this isn't the place. Okay, so some sin in relationships. I'm thinking of like a worship service. It'd be a way of a worship service should be reverent. I think we'd all agree on that. Okay. But if we think that worship should be a time to entertain even unsafe people, and a lot of churches have this as their mode of operation, uh, how they make decisions for their, what they include in a worship service, that's not we had an elders meeting this morning. That's not in a conversation that we have as elders. How are we going to entertain the lost to get them here in a worship service that's supposed to be, according to scripture, pretty reverent, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, and we are to give the Lord the glory to his name. So what we see should be reverent. And when there was irreverence in the book of Numbers, was it, that Nadab and Abihu died because they're irreverent? When uh, Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant, irreverent, killed. Okay. Anytime God kills someone <laughs> and we say, that was probably irreverent, okay? So the older women here are to, like the men, godliness and faith and love and steadfastness, probably supposed to be also sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled, right? So, but adding to that, they are to be reverent in behavior. <clears throat> Instead of irreverent, they look at life as a sacred, and the uh, another translation or another way of saying reverent is sacred, holy, special. So women, older women are to be reverent in their behavior. They look at life as a gift from God to be used for God and not for themselves, okay? And he's going to explain uh, what reverent in behavior doesn't look like, okay? You've got two negatives after this that gives us a clue on, on, on in the context, all right? So what are the two things that come after reverent in behavior? Two things that they're not supposed to be. This is older women. Slanders. What comes to your mind when you think of a slander? Okay. Gossip. 
jealousy. Could be fueled by jealousy. Okay. I'm jealous for how other people, what they have, what they look like. Someone who constantly aims to fame other people. Yeah. Yeah. So gossip is um, the a light version of slander. Slander is Diabolos, which is a name of Satan. And he's a slanderer, okay? He is a slanderer in the presence of God of us as believers. He's saying, they're only serving you like he did. And we have a picture of that in the book of Job 1. Job's only serving you because you're protecting him and you're giving him all this wealth. Okay, that's how Satan slanders the saints before God. Okay, older women are to be reverent in behavior and not slandering people. <clears throat> Judging people based on assumptions. They're only wearing that or they're only doing that to get, and, and it happens, we're going to assume, in an ungodly culture that creed is and that our culture is. How often does slander happen? In the home, workplace, in an unhealthy church. How often does it happen? All the time. It does. Like godly older women should not be part of this. What does slander do in a church that causes it to be unhealthy? Disunity, divide. Yeah, it causes you to want to choose sides and like, are you for or against the changing the paint? I can't believe those guys, and I'm saying this because we're changing the paint in the auditorium. You're all going to poke your head in there and look at the accent wall that we have now. But it's getting changed. All right? We, we're not having a committee. We're not taking a church vote to change the color of the paint. All right? We're, we're, we got a church vote to approve missionaries and spending, but not in colors of paint. We're not going to do that. All right? That's not, we, we won't get anything done if everything has to be a church vote, right? Um. So we renovated rooms, we opened up, we have a, a, a window here in the back that wasn't a church boat either. It was just decided on by the leadership and can we afford it? Yes. Is it going to be beneficial? Yes. Those who are going to serve here, they, we consulted them. So I think this is an upgrade, what we have here in this room. Um, however, the least little thing, petty, that could be divisive in a in a marriage, in a home, in a church, a godly older woman is not going to slander someone. Let me give you some other um, definitions or ways of describing this. Tearing someone down verbally. Okay? Painting someone in a bad light. Assuming the worst of people. This is how we slander. Slander is a verbal thing, right? Which is why I add verbal to tearing someone down verbally. And older women, if they're reverent and sacred in behavior, need to have their tongues under control. Okay. And so some of you here are older women. If you want to help be, help be a positive influence in this church, don't slander. If you find yourself saying things that you would never want to be said about you, it's either it's either gossip or slander. 
gossip is not necessarily tearing someone down as much as it's sharing information that you wish wasn't shared about you. That's gossip. Slander, though, is sharing information in a way that makes someone look bad. That's another level that's lower on the rung of sin. And so he goes after the older women here and says, okay, if you, Titus, are going to teach what accords to sound doctrine, a healthy church, you need to challenge the older women to be godly like the older men, but in a way that, in particular, older women are tempted, I would say, to be irreverent in their behavior. And how is that displayed? Well, they're tempted to be slanderous of people. Okay, and then the next thing, in an ungodly culture where people are out of control, uh, I did look up the word evil beast. It's interesting, that word evil beast back in Titus 1, that is the only place besides uh, Revelation. It's 46 times this word is used. Often it's referring to animals. It's an animal. Uh, the, the word beast is a very good translation. It's used to wild animals, animals that are out of control. And in the book of Revelation, most of the 46, by far, most of the 46 references in the New Testament are in the book of Revelation. Can you guess who it refers to in the book of Revelation? Not no, not Satan. Someone who Satan influences. Where are you seeing evil beasts? Okay, back. I'm sorry. Titus 1 and... Uh, I studied it more this week, and I didn't mention it, and I, I think Pastor Ty uh, spoke on this too. Um, verse that Christians are always, so verse 12, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I use the word violent, but that's probably not the best. Beast is a good term, and I think beast is different than animals in that wild beasts or beasts are animals that are out of control or can't be control what we see in scripture so the beast in in the book of revelation over and over again is mentioned as the antichrist okay here is someone who is out of control a wild man who has authority massive authority at the end of time and will not um he gets his power from satan he will not submit to christ he wants to be christ so he's the antichrist right and so um, this is in a culture where people are out of control. This is why I bring this up because you'll see the word self-control three times in this short, in this short passage, because they're in a culture where people are out of control. Now, if you've ever taught children and you had a typically young man, but sometimes young women that are out of control <laughs> and they are wreaking havoc in the classroom. And the other children are do not know what they avoid them. Uh, they we would maybe call them monsters, <laughs> or Titus would say they're evil beasts. Okay, they are wild children that need to be controlled. Okay, and their lack of control is is evil. Okay, so that is that's that word that now we see this this idea of self control in verse two. Uh, from the godly men are self-controlled and the older women are going to teach the younger women to be self-controlled and the older women men are going to teach the younger men to be self-controlled but they're in a culture where everyone is lying out of control and lazy 
okay? And that out of control is evil. So back to verse three of chapter two, and uh, we'll we'll um, wrap it up here with the second thing they're not to be is to be not slaves to much wine. Okay, so how would being a slave to much wine contribute to the irreverence in behavior? See the connection? Okay, right. So control, even in these, in this term, even without the use of self-control to describe the godly older women, we have this concept here that this out of control culture, <laughs> when you come to a healthy church on the island of Crete, it's vastly different. You know what? Because the older men are controlled, the older women are controlled, their tongues are controlled. They're not slandering people. Although there's a lot to negative in the culture because everybody's a liar and evil beast. And if you have an unsaved husband and you're a godly older woman married to an unsaved man, you have a lot to tell about your husband because he is, he's like the Cretan culture, right? And so we can expect um, that the older godly women have to control their tongues and have to control their consumption of, of alcohol. Because uh, out of control tongues and out of control consumption of alcohol is is going to tend to irreverence in behavior. And if you are as a as a godly older woman, known for slander and being controlled by substances like alcohol, can you do what Paul's going to encourage Titus for the older women to do? They are to train. They are to teach what is good, okay? This, and if you try to teach and your life doesn't match your message, you're cutting yourself off at the knees, okay? And so this is why godly leaders in, in chapter one are leading the church to be healthy. That's why character is of the utmost, godly character. That's why he goes after the older men, and this isn't just for the elite of the church. As we grow older physically as men, we need to be growing more godly so that we can help the younger men. You ladies who are growing old physically are growing more godly, hopefully spiritually, in a healthy church so that you can help the younger women. All right, so... Um, We'll, I think we'll stop here uh, for the looking at. Now let's talk practically. <clears throat> if you are an older godly woman um, and a older ungodly woman comes, that is like what we see here in verse three. She is a slanderer and she, in, in talking with her, getting to know her, she has a drinking problem. Okay. So what advice, and I, as a pastor, I'm trying to connect people to people. I can't minister to everybody in a healthy church, but I'm trying to find a godly woman who can help the ungodly uh, women. And of course, I want a church full of godly older women because we have God, uh, maybe possibly ungodly younger women 
or they want to be godly younger women, but they need a mentor. They need a disciple. How do you, as a, a godly older woman who is trying to be reverent, and look back at verse two, trying to be healthy in faith, trusting God, trusting others, in love, loving God, loving others, and then steadfastness, trying to be consistent in, in your walk with the Lord. How do you reach out to the ungodly older women? What does that look like? Show kindness to them. I'm going to repeat what you say. So show kindness. And love. And mm -hmm. they go together. Just mm -hmm. talk. Talk to them. All right. So show kindness and love yeah. and talk to them. Okay. Gain, gain trust, try to gain, gain the trust of the other beautiful woman. Okay, so gain the trust of an ungodly woman. Good. Anything else come to mind? Encourage them to be the word of God every day. Okay, and encouraging them to read the word of God. Let's probe a little deeper in that. So what would you encourage them as they read? What are they to look for? If they're reading the word. So they say to you, I did that, okay? So, and I'm still <laughs> slanderous and a slave to wine. Okay, sure. So we start with salvation, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's assume an ungodly older woman is a new believer and they're trying to grow and they're coming here. Um, so they're in the word, or at least they're trying to be consistent in the word. So what do we tell them to look for in the word? for themselves. Okay. Remember what I said first about godliness. Applying. So looking for God. Looking for Christ. Where would we take an ungodly woman who is lacking self-control and we tell her you need to be like Jesus? She says, I don't know how to be like Jesus. Where do I go to? to look at Jesus, where would you point her? In the Bible, to, to find what does self-control look like when it comes to Jesus, where would you go? The gospel, right, right. So this is how we would direct people, not just broadly to the word, but not just just reading the word, but to and this is where discipleship comes, where we put our arm around them. We include them in a conversation. If we have a group of older older ladies that sit, I know our church has a, in this room, an older, uh, an older lady group that sits on Sunday and talks. Encourage them to pull up a chair and you tell them, you know what? This isn't a group of five or six of us and no more. There's always room for one more. I'll get you a chair. Or one of the men, hey, can you get a chair? Yeah, sure. So you include them to get to build trust in a relationship. And then you're going to, hey, would you be willing to meet for coffee this week or go out to lunch or or want to come over to my house and or whatever, or I'll, I'll come to your house. Um, so you're building a relationship. And then the purpose of that relationship is to help this lady to be godly. Okay. She didn't grow up in church. And you can imagine this culture is like our culture where 
more and more of the older people in our culture have no church background. Or if they're nominal, they only went for, or they only go for weddings, funerals, or or a, a baby, their grandchildren are, are getting dedicated or whatever, or the, a baby baptism. That's the only time they go. So they're really almost atheists. They're almost like, they don't know what a reverent behavior looks like. Okay. And so you're allowing them to see your life. This is the benefit of having them in your home or getting together and, and talking conversations. And they hear that you aren't slandering. They hear that you aren't given to much wine. You're not given to your appetite of, of the, that matches the rest of the culture. You're speaking highly of your husband or the other um, men or women in your life. And so eventually, it's, it's, I, I would assume that older ungodly women are going to ask you, tell me how you do it. Like, how do you not lose your temper? Tell me how you don't slander. Now, they may not use the slander. How, how do, are you positive instead of negative? How do you not worry? about life and your mind just is how you not not as emotional as so many other just the least little things that's sets ladies off to to worry so there are a lot of conversations that you can have as older women even ministering to older women to help um lead them to christ and tell them christ likeness is the goal of what we're doing here at church. This is the goal of reading our Bibles every day, to look to Jesus and then to imitate him. We know that from Romans 8, we are to be conformed to the image of our Savior. So no irreverent behavior is, is going to go unchallenged or um, or going to be, you're going to be provoked here in this church. And we're not going to allow you just to slander everybody as you come here. Okay, that may be how you used to talk <laughs> about people and two people in, in the past. You may have 60 plus years of experience slandering and you're really good at it. <laughs> but that that's not how this church is going to operate because <laughs> we're trying to be godly, we're trying to be like Jesus. And Jesus never slanders his bride, the church. So we, we try not to either. We'll pause there. We'll stop there and we'll pick it up here.